Hello and welcome to the Decorum Talking Newspaper for the week ending Saturday the 2nd of April 2022. This is Rod and our other readers are Liz, Kevin, Jane and Tom. Kevin is also our editor. All are members of Team 2. Most of our news items are taken from the Hemel Hempstead, Berkhampstead and Tring Gazette and Express newspaper. All telephone numbers are on the local code of 01442, unless stated otherwise. This week's headlines. Microbrewery raises a pint to help Ukraine. And popular pub in Tring back in business. We also have a feature this week about the Talking Newspaper Federation's sounding service. These and other stories follow. Here is the news. Hello, this is Kevin. A microbrewery in Hemel Hempstead has teamed up with a brewery in the Ukraine to raise funds for the ongoing humanitarian crisis in the country. Proceeds from the Stout Resistance, a special milk stout, will be donated to Ukrainian charities. Award-winning Pope's Yard in Apsley have created the beer from a recipe given to it by Castle Hill Brewery in Ukraine. Co-founder of the microbrewery, Barbara Lenin, and her partner, Jeff Lenin, visited a brewery in the western city of Lviv, Castle Hill, during the during a trip to the country in June 2019. After their visit, Barbara and Jeff stayed in touch with Castle Hill owner Andrew Diddock via social media and reached out to him when the conflict began. Barbara decided to collaborate with Andrew and was sent the recipe for a milk stout. She said, We saw all the terrible suffering and people fleeing, leaving their homes. It's just heartbreaking, especially if you've been there and you've met these people. It just adds another dimension. Barbara added, we tried to recreate it as good as we could. It's as close to the original Ukrainian beer as you can get. Other businesses have come together to help make the beer with bottles and labels donated by Barbara's suppliers and a brewing company in Rickmansworth, Creative Juices, has given access to its tap room when the beer is ready. Currently, Andrew is well and staying in Lviv. However, Barbara says that he is taking it one day at a time. The stout will launch on April the 8th at Creative Juices Brewing Company with all proceeds going to charities aiding those who are living amid the fighting. Hello, this is Jane. A hugely popular canal side pub in Tring reopened its doors after an extensive £1.2 million renovation. The Grand Junction Arms in Bourbon is once again open for business, serving its well-known seafood menu. The Victorian Canalside Pub was acquired by the Oakman Group and will serve its flagship seafood joint in the south. One year ago, the same pub group acquired Jocelyn Neves' six northwest pubs to form a seafood pub company division. Peter Borg-Neil, the founder and executive chairman of the Oakman Group, said he always wanted to own the popular Tring pub. This was bubbling away in the back of my mind for some time, he said. A long time ago, my son Eamon and I discussed what we'd do to improve it after years of insensitive piecemeal alterations. We knew the building and the garden would require a great deal of work. And when I showed it to Jocelyn, she could immediately see its potential as a seafood pub. This opening holds extra significance for Peter, as Tring is the location where he first opened an Oakman Inn establishment in 2007, and his son Eamon is the Grand Junction Arms General Manager. Eamon said, This has been such a great journey. We saw a gap in the market in Tring for fresh seafood. Jocelyn has a wealth of specialist seafood knowledge and the team training she has initiated has been inspiring. We source the best of the day's catch for our seafood specials using South Coast day boats, which are then prepared by our head chef, Jamie Norrie, and his team. But our menu offers so much more. We are serving British pub classics using the best seasonal and regional ingredients traceable and sustainable from both land and sea. 
whether it's a pie and a pint on a Tuesday night or lobster and champagne at the weekend, we want to be the locals' pub of choice for every occasion. A glance at the menu reveals deviled kidneys, oysters, go and king prawn curry, a nod to the pub's past popularity for curries, and different cuts of grilled steak, sitting alongside homemade pies, syrup sponge pudding and a kid's menu. As one might expect, the lunch menu is lighter and includes a lobster brioche roll and eggs benedict. For those wanting to treat themselves, Fru de la Meur and 32-ounce T-bone steak to share are available to pre-order with 48 hours notice. Sundays will, of course, have a selection of roasts, including a vegetarian option. Workers have attempted to maintain a design which promotes the pub's Victorian heritage, with wood-panelled and dark-painted walls, varnished wooden flooring, traditional banquets and carver chairs upholstered in a mix of Prussian blue and oxblood leather with herringbone backs. The popular horseshoe-shaped bar survived the refit. A wood-burning stove remains in place for those winter months and additional seating means there is room for 80 diners. It boasts an all-weather heated outdoor dining terrace which has a communal circular fire pit and dedicated bar. The towpath beer garden alongside the canal has been levelled and is overlooked by three glazed igloos known as oak pods where groups of six can enjoy a private dining experience in their own personal bubble. A Tring Brewery canine themed beers helped raise £3,000 for a dog rescue charity. Tring Brewery has raised £3,000 for its charity of choice for 2021 Chilton Dog Rescue Society. The brewery originally began its relationship with the Wendover Bay Centre in 2020 before businesses and charities alike were hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. The brewery created 12 specials, all named and designed with its canine friends in mind, including Canine, Toto, Humpog, Cerberus and Sable. To raise funds and awareness for the society, the fundraising was boosted at the biannual members' evening and a huge charity raffle to cap off 2021. The £3,000 raised will help the society with the upkeep of the centre, rehabilitating and rehoming vulnerable dogs in the Chilton area and beyond. Jared, the communications and PR man at Tring Brewery, said, It has been a wild two years and a time that has been more testing than ordinary for local charities. It has been awesome to champion Chilton Dogs Rescue throughout, the hope, throughout and hope that the funds can go to good use. Thank you to the team for their passion and collaboration throughout. Our customers have loved the themes and imagery for each of the beers. Thank you all for contributing to our raffle and towards our fundraising activities over the last two years. It has been great to help such a wonderful local cause. Flower Shop spreads bunches of joy. A flower shop in Berkhamsted has been helping to spread bunches of joy by delivering flowers to a local hospice. Hanukkah Flower Shop, based on the high street, has been donating the bouquets to the Hospice of St Francis, using blooms that would have otherwise gone to waste as part of their No Flower Left Behind sustainability initiative. Sharon, head of IPU at the Hospice of St Francis said, we were delighted to receive a delivery of beautiful bouquet donations from Hanukkah Flower Shop. We displayed them on our inpatient unit for our patients, their relatives and our staff to enjoy. Gestures like this really make our day and are greatly appreciated on the unit. Thank you so much for thinking of us and for your fantastic donation. Kate Parrott, head florist, at Hanako Flower Shop said, we're passionate about sharing joy and happiness through flowers. So there's nothing we love more than creating and donating bouquets for the hospice. As a sustainable florist, 
We're always looking for new initiatives to ensure no flower goes to waste. And by sending bouquets to local causes, we're ensuring any leftover flora continues to spark joy. Problem Pub keeps its licence to sell alcohol. A Hemel Hempstead pub which was closed down by police for becoming a hotspot for chronic antisocial behaviour is allowed to keep its licence to sell alcohol. The Tudor Rose in Long Chaldon was closed by Hertfordshire Police last month, but Decorum Borough Council said it was satisfied the past manager is no longer involved with the business. It added it won't need to re reapply for a licence once a new manager is in place. The decision was made after a Borough Council's licence subcommittee met earlier this month, which was published last week. According to a report following the meeting, councillors heard when the police visited the pub on January the 21st, it was a shambles. There was nobody in charge. Customers were helping themselves behind the bar, although one person said he was serving. Police contacted the licence holder on the Monday morning before an area manager for Stonegate Brewery, the pub's owners and premises licence holder, confirmed the tenant had been given notice to quit the premises on February the 25th. According to the report, the tenant, who isn't named by the council, was buying beer from other suppliers and hadn't paid any rent, with the pub company doing everything they could to get him out of the premises. The individual was not on the pub's licence as a designated premises supervisor, but on February the 1st, the pub's operators applied to the council to, re re to remove the named designated premises supervisor from the licence, which meant alcohol could not legally be sold in the pub. However, on February the 1st, there was a further incident despite the ban on serving alcohol. And on February the 4th, a closure order was granted with the pub boarded up and forced to close. According to the report, the tenant wouldn't speak with the Borough Council's licensing department and therefore they were unable to get any details from him, but it appeared he was walking away from the business. The licensing subcommittee was legally required to consider the pub's licence following the closure order, but no responsible authorities, including the police and council, had called for the pub to be stripped of its ability to serve alcohol after being satisfied this was a bad apple. In their written decision, the subcommittee said it had decided against making any changes to the licence and would allow the pub's operator to find a new tenant. It appears the subcommittee notes that whilst the closure order confirms that there was a crime and or disorder at the premises, this was done so under the occupation and control of the tenant who has now vacated the premises. The subcommittee further notes that there was no representations from responsible authorities. The subcommittee is satisfied that the premises licence holder had cooperated with the police and the licensing authority to promote the licensing objectives of preventing crime and disorder. The premises licence holder had terminated the lease with the tenant, removed the designated premises supervisor from the premises licence to prevent the sale of alcohol at the premises and supported the closure order. The tenant had also not paid any rent under the lease to the premises licence holders and breached further covenants including purchasing obligations with the Stonegate Group. The pub's operator has said it will liaise with the police to ensure the new tenant is suitable for the pub and will also carry out a refurbishment of the premises before reopening. The Police and Crime Commissioner cracks down on fly-tipping. A crackdown on fly-tipping funded by the Police and Crime Commissioner has seen landowners across the county able to clear up dump rubbish for free. And the PCC's fly-tipping fund has also helped provide match funding to help tackle the problem, including high visibility signs and the installation of new security gates. More than 10 fly tips have been removed in the past year, 
with around £6,000 of funding paying for the cleanups on farmland and private roads in urban areas. Rubbish removed included white goods, household waste, garden waste and demolition materials. The landowners have been offered a crime prevention assessment by a member of the Constabulary Rural Support Team, which has led to the implementation of target hardening methods to discourage tippers, using around £4,000 of additional cash from the fund. The council or police investigate dumped waste for clues to track down those responsible, and anyone traced faces criminal charges and fines. Hertfordshire Police and Crime Commissioner David Lloyd said, fly tipping is one of the crimes I hear most from the public. It blights our communities and causes substantial cost to innocent pe people, poses a danger to road users, livestock and wildlife. The fund was set up as I believe it is not right that businesses who are the victim of fly tipping are liable to pick up the considerable costs involved. Furthermore, I have been more than willing to contribute to target hardening measures identified by the Constabulary Rural Support Team to stop future tips happening. Private landowners are also eligible for the funding will have to prove they already have a waste disposal contract in place with an authorised collection firm. The scheme is part of the county-wide multi-agency and multi-channel campaign being run by the Hearts Fly Tipping Group. Anyone interested in making a claim or finding out more information can contact their district or borough council and mention the Police and Crime Commissioner's Fly Tipping Fund. Cannabis Factory at Former Snooker Hall. Last week, the Gazette and Express featured a story on a police bust at a former snooker hall. The huge cannabis factory was thought to be the largest in the county and was based at a former snooker hall at Henry Wells Square, Grove Hill. Following an inquiry from this newspaper, police have now clarified that the cannabis factory was not in any way linked to the community church, which shares the same building on part of the site. A police spokesman said, We are told the site was a snooker hall for many years before it was split into two separate units, one of which the snooker hall continued to occupy, with a social club opening in the other. The snooker hall and social club eventually closed down, with the latter being where the officers discovered the cannabis factory earlier this month. The Gazette and Express is happy to make this clarification. More than a million new trees for hearts. More than a million new trees, equivalent to one for every resident in the county, could be planted in Hertfordshire by 2030. That's one of the aims at the heart of the County Council's new tree and woodland strategy that was adopted at a meeting of the Cabinet of Monday, March 21st. The strategy includes the ambition for at least 1.2 million trees, one for every resident of Hertfordshire, as well as 100 kilometres of hedgerow trees that could include areas of new woodland on county council land. And it includes an ambition to plant at least 100 new trees along the highways in each urban ward where less than 15% of the wards is under cover of a tree canopy. However, not all of the 1.8 million trees, including 600,000 hedgerow trees, would be delivered by the council. As part of the strategy, the council aims to set up a grant scheme to enable town and parish councils to create pocket woodlands or orchards. And there are plans for 100,000 free tree planting kits to be made available for Hertfordshire residents and businesses. It was reported that, for example, the Countryside Stewardship Grant would pay £11,600 per kilometre of new hedgerow and the local authority Treescape Fund could pay up to £837 per tree. In 2021, the County Council, it was reported, secured 50,000 
£156 from the local authority Treescape Fund for the County Council and seven districts and borough councils. It also points to tree sponsorship and crowdfunding of ways to enable communities to fund new tree planting or woodland protection initiatives. According to the report presented to the Cabinet, wherever possible tree planting will be funded from external grants. Prime Minister urged to make speedy hospital funding decision. County Council leader, Councillor Richard Roberts, is to write to the Prime Minister to call for a speedy decision on funding for a new hospital in West Hertfordshire. Back in October 2019, Prime Minister Boris Johnson pledged £400 million for plans to redevelop Watford General Hospital, but so far no funding has been made available. Since then, the West Hearts Hospitals Trust has drawn up £1 billion plans to build a new 18-storey hospital building on the Watford site, as well as developing facilities at Hemel Hempstead and St Albans City Hospitals. Meanwhile, health campaigners have continued to call for a new hospital to be built on a new greenfield site. At a meeting of the County Council's Health Scrutiny Committee earlier this month, Councillors requested that Councillor Roberts write to the PM to call for the full funding to be made available for the redevelopment as a matter of urgency. And backed by the majority of the committee, they agreed that the Trust's plans were the best and fastest way to deliver the much-needed hospital and health facilities in West Hertfordshire. Following that meeting, Councillor Roberts has told the local democracy reporting service that he does now plan to write to the Prime Minister. But while he will stress the need for funding for the new hospital, he will not express a preference for its location. And in the same letter, he will also highlight the importance of funding for the redevelopment of the Mount Vernon Cancer Care Centre. Councillor Roberts told the local democracy reporting service a replacement hospital for the Watford General Hospital has been needed for more than 20 years and it's about time a decision was made for the funding and for the location of that hospital. Rennie Grove Spring Appeal. £30 could pay for a session of specialist counselling or bereavement support. Rennie Grove Hospice Care has launched its spring appeal to help raise vital cash to support families struggling with illness and bereavement. The appeal is raising money for the family support service. And one woman has shared how important the service was to her family after two bereavements just weeks apart. Heather says Rennie Grove not only helped her care for her dad and former father-in-law with confidence and compassion, but also helped her overcome the complex mix of emotions she felt after they passed away. Losing my dad has made me face the feelings I've been running from all my life, says Heather. With Rennie Grove's help, I faced them head on unraveled them and finally made peace with them. Heather didn't ask for help straight away, but she began to feel increasingly overwhelmed after her dad died. I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't think straight. I didn't recognize myself, she admits. Lisa Jackson, who heads the family support service, knows from experience that everyone grieves differently and that people might need help at different points along the way. Dealing with life-limiting and terminal illnesses is hard, she says. Patients and their families can feel afraid, alone and overwhelmed. Heather felt that as she held her dad's hand through the final difficult days of his life, and her daughter feels it now, a year on. We've been able to help those both and we want to be here for everyone who needs us as soon as they need us and for as long as they need us. COVID-19 made caring 
grieving and saying goodbye much harder, she says. And although we've learned to live with it now, the people we help are still reeling from its impact. With more referrals, increasingly complex cases and higher levels of serious psychological distress, Rennie Grove's trained team of counsellors, listeners and therapists are determined to reach everyone who comes forward. I just want to make sure no one is left waiting when they need us, said Lisa. When patients ask for our help, we must work with them while they're still well enough. And when family members come to us, we know that takes guts and they need our help now. They don't want to wait. Heather admits, without the counsellors, I know I wouldn't be in the position I am now. Happy, settled, back at work. About to become a volunteer corporate ambassador for Rennie Grove. Helping to raise funds so more families can benefit in the ways we have. Heather's daughter has taken the first step towards getting help too and is already feeling more positive and able to focus on her studies as a result. Lisa added, it's a privilege to be part of helping someone get their life back on track and we couldn't do it without our supporters' help. A, don- a donation of £30 could pay for a session of specialist counselling or bereavement support in a one-to-one or group setting. You can donate via renniegrove.org forward slash spring appeal or by telephoning 890222. VIP visitors for new squirrel scouts in Hemel Hempstead. Youngsters at Hemel's new squirrel drays received a visit from two VIPs. The youngsters from First Apsley Scout Group's brand new squirrel drays were visited by the Mayor of Decorum Councillor Stuart Reddick and Hemel MP Sir Mike Penning to mark their investment. The boys and girls aged four and five recited their promise to do their best to be kind and helpful and were presented with their certificates and badges to mark the occasion. Hemel Hempstead Scouts have drays at Apsley and Leverstock Green which meet weekly for fun and games with a programme designed to support informal learning, promoting key skills like working together, communication language, as well as creativity and community awareness. If you are interested in finding out more, then visit the website or email join at hemelscouts.co.uk. Decisions that affect you. Questions have been raised about the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines to primary age children in decorum following national advice to keep out of schools. Health bosses overseeing decorum and the county as a whole have already started to offer the vaccine to children aged 5 to 11 who are deemed to be at risk. And from April, they are expecting to roll out the vaccine to the remaining 142,000 primary aged children in Hertfordshire and West Essex. At a meeting of the county's Health and Wellbeing Board, It emerged that children across Hearts and West Essex were likely to have to visit one of five vaccination centres or a pharmacy alongside some pop-up vaccination centres. However, it was reported that just five community pharmacists had expressed an interest in the vaccination programme and it was still to be decided whether GP surgeries would be used. Nurses already visit schools to deliver some vaccinations, including the nasal flu spray in primary schools. But the board was told government guidelines had directed health chiefs to avoid plans to vaccinate in schools, to minimise disruption and avoid security issues. However, it stated plans for pop-up vaccination centres in school car parks during school holidays could be considered. Councillor Teresa Heritage, the County Council's Executive Member for Children, Families and Young People, said it makes absolute sense to take over a school for a day and do the whole lot. I don't understand why that is being poo-pooed nationally. Elliot Howard-Jones, 
Chief Executive of the Hertfordshire Community NHS Trust, said he was not sure he could answer to the logic of it. But he accepted that there was a disruption element when going into schools, particularly if going in to vaccinate only a small number of children. And Beverly Flowers, Director of Integration and Systems Transformation for the Hertfordshire and West Essex Integrated Care System, said there was also an issue around parental consent and schools not wanting to get involved. And she said this was especially the case where there may be more than one parent involved in a child's care. Mr Howard Jones said that COVID and levels of COVID vaccination that had already increased levels of inequality in population groups that are already disadvantaged. And he said that if children had to go to vaccination centres, it was important to make that as accessible as possible with as many other routes as possible. Children aged between five and 11 who are at increased risk of COVID or who live with somebody who is immunosuppressed are already eligible for vaccination. There are estimated to be 6,000 in this group in Hertfordshire and West Essex. And since March the 11th, it is estimated that 10.4% have received a first dose of the vaccine. More generally, it was reported that 3,069,478 doses of vaccine and 851,560 booster doses had been administered across Hertfordshire and West Sussex. But it was said that there was now a slowing of vaccine demand nationally. A special celebration took place at Asteridge House to mark the Queen's Jubilee. Her Majesty's Lord Lieutenant Robert Voss, CBE, was joined by youngsters from Little Gaddiston Church of England School to plant a tree for the Jubilee. The planting ceremony for the, for the Quercus Robus, also known as the English Oak Tree, also marked the beginning of a year-long programme of events to celebrate its heritage and focus on sustainability. In a speech before planting the oak tree, Lord Lieutenant of Hertfordshire highlighted the importance of nurturing and increasing green spaces, championing the Queen's Green Canopy Initiative that invites people across the UK to plant a tree for the Jubilee. After the planting, the youngsters presented the Lord Lieutenant with letters they'd written to Her Majesty the Queen, thanking her for her dedication to the country and congratulating her for her 70-year reign. Once the planting ceremony was complete, the children enjoyed a very British tea, sorry, a very British tea party. Apsley Railway Station, a trip down memory lane. September the 22nd, 1938, was a very significant date in the histories of Hemel Hempstead, Apsley, and John Dickinson's former mills that once stood so proudly in the Apsley area. The year, 2018, saw the 80th anniversary of the opening of the station. However, to understand the historical importance of this seemingly insignificant station, we have to go back over 100 years to the time when John Dickinson had invented the cylinder mould paper machine and was in great need of a mill in which to house and establish the process. It was in 1809 that Dickinson purchased from one George Stafford the perfect looking premises at the Apsley Mill, adjacent to the River Gade, and less than two years later, in order to further his ambitions, he added Nash Mill, a short distance further along the river. In the fullness of time, two further mills followed, Home Park Mill in Kings Langley in 1826, and Croxley Mill in Watford in 1829. There was a problem that was having a direct effect on the smooth running of the mills. 
the building of the canal had greatly reduced the water flow to the mill wheels as it had diverted water away from the mill premises. George Stafford and others had previous to the Apsley Mill sale made approaches to the Grand Junction Canal Company concerning the issue and this had resulted in the provision of a steam-powered pump in order to restore the flow. However, this proved to be an ineffectual measure. In the time of purchase, the transportation systems meant the use of the canal and the Turnpike Road would provide the flow of materials in and out of the mills. However, Dickinson realised that the issue with the water flow would need to be addressed as soon as possible. It was in 1817 that Dickinson obtained an injunction against the canal owners, after which the now famous rerouting of the canal took place, ensuring improved water flow to the mills. Indeed, so astute was Dickinson that he also successfully tended to supply much of the construction work involved, thereby ensuring his mills would have wharfs and docking directly alongside the canal. Following the later purchase of Home Park and Croxy Mills, Dickinson had now ensured that his four mills would all benefit greatly from the improved water flow. Before the Croxy Mill could be fully established, plans were under consideration for a, a railway connection between London and Birmingham, with several routes put forward. However, it transpired that, although the adopted route ran through the Gade Valley, it effectively bypassed all four of Dickinson's mills. Intermediate stations soon followed, one of which was at Kings Langley, close to the Home Park Mill. Interestingly, Dickinson himself used the station regularly on his visits to London. Indeed, the station was actually built on land owned by Dickinson, and later another part of Dickinson land would be used for the building of the Booksellers Provident Retreat, which opened in September 1845. By July 1837, the railway had reached as far as Boxmoor, and a station erected as a temporary northern terminus while the line to Birmingham was completed. Boxmoor Station continued as a passenger station and later as a goods reception centre for Hemel Hempstead. The name was changed to Hemel Hempstead some years later. Some years later, following the death of John Dickinson, when his grandson, Lewis Evans, was running the company, it became very obvious that the costs of delivering coal via the canal was becoming more and more expensive, and it was noted that the source of the coal in the Midland pits was dwindling. Therefore, a rail connection was going to be needed as a matter of urgency in order to maintain supplies and deliveries. Home Park Mill was, of course, using the King's Langley station, but Croxley Mill and the mills in Apsley were both sadly lacking. The Croxley Mill was close to the LNWR branch line, and following negotiations, a link was created in 1898 which would enable freight to arrive at the mill. Indeed, a small network of rails was created on site which would allow easy movement around the premises and even into some of the buildings. There's an interesting anecdote here. It seems that during the preparations for the annual audit, there were found to be more company-owned wagons in the mill than they had on their books. Instructions soon followed and the extras were attached to the next train out of the mill, none of which returned until the, after the audit had been completed. The company had worked endlessly for many years for the provision of a station at Apsley. However, as things turned out, they had to settle for the building across the road, designed specifically for the use of passenger traffic. The work had involved the addition of platforms to both the local and the express lines. It is thought this would be the only mainline railway station open for a paper mill. Although no paper had actually been made there for many years, as it, as it was then a paper conversion establishment 
with some 7,000 employees. The new station would be a joint venture between LMS and Dickinson's and had been provided mainly for the workforce of the Apsley Mill. Indeed, the centenary of the first railway train to public, publicly convey passengers throughout from London to Birmingham was celebrated on the 17th of September 1938. The official opening of the new Apsley station took place just five days later, on September the 22nd, 1938. <clears throat> Some 2,000 spectators and employees saw a large screen made from paper which had been specially made at the Croxley Mill stretched across the line. It bore the respective crests of LMS and John Dickinson, together with the message, opening of Apsley Station, September 22nd, 1938. A specially arranged train from London arrived at 10 past one, which was due to tear its way through the screen. On board the train were Lord Stamp of Shortland's OCB CBE, Chairman of the London, Midland and Scottish Railway Company, fellow directors and officials, and Sir Reginald Bonser, chairman of John Dickinson and Amp Company. However, things went slightly awry as the driver stopped short of the screen, thinking he was going to do some damage, and had to start off again to achieve the desired effect and break through the screen. Later, Sir Reginald made presentations to the engine driver, the guard and fireman from the train, Following this, his ticket, number 0000, was clipped by Lord Stamp using silver-plated clippers specifically provided for the occasion. Following the ceremony, the LMSR visitors, together with the other guests, the Mayor of Hemel Hempstead and representatives of the BBC and National Local Press, partook of luncheon at the cafeteria of the Guildhouse, Apsley Mills enjoying oysters as a starter. The station itself was then open for public use on Monday, September the 26th. This article with acknowledgement to articles by Michael Stanion, the quarterly number 79, and Mr. Peter Ward, Chambersbury News. How to manage your debt as prices rise. As people struggle to make ends meet as inflation, fuel, utility bills and other costs rise at an unprecedented, unprecedented rate for the future looks uncertain for many. With the current cost of living crisis that the UK is experiencing, as well as the added uncertainty of the current geopolitical climate, many Brits are feeling more anxious about their financial situation than ever. Debt charity Step Change has reported a 34% increase in people using their resources from December 2021 to January 2022. Independent financial broker Norton Finance details how people can manage their debts to improve their financial situation. Understand your finances. Tackling debt is a task that is only made harder if you don't have a clear idea of what is happening with your finances. Sitting down to assess your income and outgoings can take a lot of time, but can save a lot of future work, work and uncertainty. Norton Finance Director Paul Stringer said, With 50 million Brits struggling financially, debt can be an intimidating topic, but thankfully we are seeing less stigma around it, as it is a problem to be dealt with rather than avoided. He added, with careful management of your debt and planning a solution that is right for you, you can put yourself on a path towards being debt-free. List your debts. Since we're tackling debts, the best place to start is working out what you owe, when payments are due, and in the case of having multiple sources of debt, which debt has the higher interest rate. Assess your income. Whether alone or combined with a partner's income, look at your sources of income to give yourself a starting figure for what you bring in each month. Budget regular expenses. Payments for a mortgage or rent, utility bills and food are unavoidable. Look at where your money is going each month.
Consider savings goals. Are you saving for a life event? While dealing with debt is an important financial goal to achieve as soon as you're able to, it is important to put money aside for life events such as a wedding. Make your money go further. Now that you've looked at your income and expenses, are there areas where you could save money that could go towards your debt? Could you reduce outgoings around transport, food or luxuries such as subscription services? Take control of your debt. Once you have a clear picture of your finances, it's time to really get to grips with your debt and make sure that you're able to stay on top of it. The following tips can help you feel like you have control over your situation. Add your payments to a calendar. Knowing when your payments are going out is crucial for staying on track with paying debts. By adding them to the calendar, you ensure that you don't get any nasty surprises from a payment you've forgotten. And you can also make sure that there is enough money in your account for the payment to go through. Prioritise your debts. If your budgeting measures and reducing outgoings means that you have some spare money to put towards paying off debts, it's important to know where this money would be best spent. This would generally be higher interest debts, but if you have some smaller debts that could be dealt with quickly to free up funds and give a small win to help motivate you, then this could be a good option. Make the minimum payment. If paying off your debt is proving to be a struggle, try your best to make the minimum payments to avoid late fees and a knock-on effect on your credit score. If reaching the minimum payment is difficult, talk to the creditor directly to ask for an extension rather than taking out a credit card and putting yourself in further debt in order to make the payment. Another option is debt consolidation. One possible solution for people with multiple loans to pay off is debt consolidation. This would pay off your existing loans and combine your debt into one source with monthly repayments as you would only owe money to one debt consolidation provider. Having one provider can make dealing with your debt easier as there are fewer payments to keep track of and you could save money on interest and late fees. It is important to speak to a loan provider to assess your options. Hamilton the cat needs a new home. Hamilton's circumstances have sadly changed and he is in need of a new loving home. He's a very friendly lad who loves attention just as much as he loves his food and he really loves his food. He is a very easygoing and chatty boy who's always purring and if you lay on the floor he will roll over for you. This gorgeous boy may be mature in years but he is still young at heart and loves to play with his feather toy. And he loves batting and jumping on his mouse toy. He's very happy for you to join in. He will be happier in an older, calmer environment, possibly older children who are used to having a cat where someone could be around for him in the day as he loves company. He is looking for a forever home as the only pet. He would love access to a secure garden away from Maine through roads once he has completed his settling in period. Letters to the editor. Take part in school's challenge. Spring term is well underway at schools across the country and with the days lengthening and temperatures slowly rising, children can be outside again doing what all children should, playing. Muddy knees, hide and seek, picnics with teddy bears should be part of every childhood, but there's never going to be a more challenging time for children. Right now, children are facing conflict, disasters and other crises in the countries around the world. And it is children that are often hardest hit like the 7.5 million children currently affected by the rapidly escalating conflict in Ukraine. One way to support UNICEF's work for all children around the world is taking part in the Soccer Aid Schools Challenge. 
we're encouraging all schools to take part in this fun, active challenge. Pupils design their very own sporty obstacle course, with all fundraising efforts going towards soccer aid for UNICEF. By kicking, bouncing, sprinting, skipping, dribbling or hopping across the playground, schools across the UK will be doing their bit to help children around the world have a childhood full of play. If you think this is something your local school would be interested in, please visit www.soccerage.org.uk forward slash schools to sign up and you'll receive a free Schools Challenge pack full of tips from planning your challenge to making sure it raises as much money as possible for children everywhere. Mimi Gordon, Head of Soccer Aid, UNICEF UK. Appeal. Help children who are seriously ill. This year, Rainbow Trust Children's Charity is marking 35 years since they were first founded. During this time, we have supported tens of thousands of families with life-threatened or terminally ill child. Our local care team based in Leatherhead, Surrey, provides vital emotional and practical support to families living in South Hertfordshire, London, Surrey, Sussex, East Berkshire and South Buckinghamshire. These families are facing the unbearable possibility that their child may die before them and they often struggle to cope. Our work has only been possible thanks to the incredible generosity of the public. So to mark our 35th anniversary milestone, I would like to say a big thank you to anyone reading this who has donated in the past or who might consider donating in the future. On average, Rainbow Trust receives eight new referrals each week from families across England needing support, but we know there are many more who could benefit. There are currently estimated to be over 80,000 children in England with a life-limiting or life-threatening condition. So as we turn 35, please help us commemorate the occasion by accepting our heartfelt thanks and if you are able, please consider making a donation so that we can continue our important work for the next 35 years. Please visit rainbowtrust.org.uk forward slash donate. And that's Zilla Bingley, CEO, Rainbow Trust Children's Charity. Okay, all welcome on the battlefield tours. Each year, the King's Own Yorkshire Light Inventory Battlefield Tours organise pilgrimages to the battle areas of the First World War in August and September. We plan to visit the Somme battlefields, Ypres, Salient, Arras, Vimy Ridge and the Luz battlefields. The trips specialise in visiting specific cemeteries or memorials on the battlefields and an experienced guide will accompany you on the trip. The Battlefield Pilgrimages was formed as a charitable hobby in 1990 by ex-servicemen who had many years of practical experience in conducting visits to the First World War battlefield areas of France and Flanders. These trips are open to anybody. Anybody who requires further information should write to John Batty, 32 Road Street, Hightown, Castleford, West Yorkshire, postcode WF. 105LL or call 01977 734 614 or email KOYLI battlefield tours at gmail.com. They ask that if you're writing to them, you send a medium sized stamped addressed envelope for all postal replies. This was submitted by John Batty of the King's Own Yorkshire Light Inventory Battlefield Tours. 
teenager named Cadet of the Year after impressing judges. A 15-year-old from Hemel Hempstead has been named St John's Ambulance's National Cadet of the Year for 2022. Georgina Heron Edmonds impressed judges at a competition between February 11th and 13th. Alongside other cadets, she took part in rigorous challenges designed to test their abilities, including communication, teamwork, presentation, working with the media and social skills. Georgina demonstrated exceptional first aid skills and a passion for community service. As Cadet of the Year, she will represent more than 8,000 cadets at events and ceremonies, including those to celebrate the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Georgina said, I'm so pleased to have won. It's an amazing honour. Being a cadet means so much to me. I have learnt important life-saving skills, as well as the ability to lead unit meetings and network. Being a cadet has definitely influenced what I want to be in the future. I originally thought about science and space, but I'm now considering a career as a paediatric doctor. Talking Newspaper Federation. Are you aware that, that Talking Newspaper Federation have an audio service? They produce content and publish it in, ver in a variety of ways. You subscribe via email and receive alerts when they publish new articles that you choose to subscribe to. You can listen via their website, or if you like podcast content, you can listen via, listen via your podcast application. The website is tnfsoundings.org.uk. Here is a list of a few recent articles they have published. The Coldest Game of Football a World Cup qualifying football match played in unusual circumstances. Contributor, Colin. Audio described TV, week commencing 2nd of April 2022. Internships for visually impaired job seekers. Apply by mid-April for one of eight paid internships for blind and partially sighted people. Contributor, Alastair. Eye clinic liaison officer, support through sight loss. Interview with Jenny Molyneux, Eye Clinic Liaison Officer, Contributor Fiona. Braille in Pictures, Visually Impaired Artist Clark Reynolds turned Braille into art, Contributor Mary. Mother's Day, A History, The Origins of Mother's Day, Contributor Anne. Again, the website is tnfsoundings.com. .org.uk And now to sport. Rugby Union. Tring are left frustrated as they lose out at the death. After a league rest week, Tring returned to London and South East Premier action by hosting Sutton and Epsom, writes Ted Stamford. The hosts saw Nick Radley and Rory Hardman return to the starting 15, as well as George Hayes on the bench. There was also a first team debut for David Bellis, while in a late change to the side, Charlie Goss Lambourne came off the wing to start in the back row. Tring showed excellent physicality in defence, but it was the visitors who eventually crashed over from close range for the first score of the game. Tring's scrum dominance began to show late in, in the half as their attack put together positive phases within the S&D 22. Tring continued to dominate possession and territory, eventually winning a penalty, which Holcomb converted to put his side 27 up the visitors put together a strong driving maul and with the clock in the red, the SNE centre dived over. The conversion gave SNE a narrow 21-20 victory in a frustrating afternoon for Tring. One win away from the playoffs. Burke Hampstead need just one more win from their remaining five matches to clinch a playoff place in the Southern League Division 1 Central. 
The second place comrades shared a one-all draw with fellow High Flyers AFC Dunstable in front of a good crowd at Broadwater last weekend. With leaders Bedford Town also drawing, it means Burko remain, remain three points behind the Eagles who still have a game in hand. Former comrade BJ Christie looked dangerous in the early stages for Dunstable. He won a free kick with Ryan Kinane going in the book midway through the first half. It was 20 yards out, but Newman Carney hit it to the left of the wall and into the bottom corner to give Dunstable the lead. Cameron Groom, who was in goal for Burko, did well when retreating to tip a shot onto the bar as the visitors had their tails up. At the other end, Jamie Head saved from Liam Brooks, but Burko levelled before half-time with a spectacular strike that will be a contender for their goal of the season. Head punched across from the right to the edge of the penalty area, and Chase Grant volleyed the attempted clearance home from 25 yards. Burko looked the more likely to nick a winner after the interval. Kinane headed one over from a set piece and then struck the crossbar with another header. Adam Watkins also went close with a shot that was just over, while at the other end, Groom saved well from Kieran Hamilton, who beat two defenders before shooting. Defences were on top late on and neither side could find a winner, with a point apiece probably being a fair outcome. Burko will hope to wrap up that playoff when they head to Waltham Abbey this weekend, where they hope to have Jonathan Lacey available again. A first-half goal from Ethan Viano was enough for Burko's under-15s to win 1-0 at St Albans. Burko are now three points clear at the top of their division in the Eastern Junior Alliance, with just three games to go. The under-16s went down 3-0 at home to Enfield on Sunday morning. Berkhamsted's under-18s head to the league leaders today, Thursday, while on Sunday the under-15s go to Kempston Rovers, with the under-16s away at Great Wakering Rovers in the League Cup. Jones is only focused on next game after dramatic win. Mark Jones wants Hemel Hempstead Town to just stay focused on the next game after they enjoyed a dramatic return to winning ways last weekend. We did try to set a few targets before the game at Dorking and Bath and perhaps we were guilty of looking too far ahead of ourselves. We were disappointed with the result at Bath but it was nice to be back playing at home and that's not something we thought we'd be saying three months ago when we were flying away but couldn't find a win at home. But we have now won five out of the last six at home and we have another one on Saturday. And finally, this week in history. On this day last year, scientists said a newly discovered black hole approximately 55,000 times the mass of the sun could be an ancient relic created before the first stars and galaxies formed. April the 1st, 1965. Greater London came into being, comprising the City of London plus 32 metropolitan boroughs. On this day last year, a huge inflatable pink cake with candles spouting rainbow flames glided through the Amsterdam canals as the Dutch capital celebrated the 20th anniversary of the world's first legal same-sex marriages. On April the 2nd, 1947, the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst was formed. On April the 3rd, 1987, the late Duchess of Windsor's jewels fetched £31 million at auction. March 30, 1964, the seaside resort of Clacton was the scene of pitched battles by gangs of mods and rockers. March 31, 1939, Britain and France pledged to support Poland against any aggression from Hitler's Germany. On this day last year, a see-through mask that makes lip-reading possible was developed by a team at Cambridge Hospital and approved for NHS use. We're coming to the end of this week's news. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are sunrise at 
40 hours and sunset at 1934 hours. If you would like to give us any feedback or you have a news story or know of an event taking place soon that you think would be suitable for our listeners, please get in touch by email to secretary at dtnhemmel.org.uk. For those with access to the internet, our news is uploaded to our website soon after the recording each week on Thursday evening. This can be found by visiting dtnhemmel.org.uk. If you wish to listen on Alexa, say, Alexa, open the talking newspaper, Skill. Alexa will ask you for which broadcast you want to listen to. When prompted, reply, play the decorum talking newspaper. This part can be tricky. If Alexa offers the wrong station, just say no and then try again. For those who are listening to this week's news via a memory stick, after the music, there is the amenities section that gives details of various group and contact details of organisations. Please remove your memory stick carefully from the player and return it to us in the pouch provided. Seal it up carefully, turn the label over and post it back to us using any Royal Mail post box. No stamp is required. Thank you for listening. Until next week, it's time to say goodbye from all of our readers, the editor and Gary, our technician for this week. <laughs>